preterism. We're going to take a look at a website. And the website is alwaysbeready.com. Preterism ref refuted. So, what is preterism? Preterism is the belief that the prophecies in Matthew 24, spoken by Jesus on Mount of Olives, and the book of Revelation were largely or completely fulfilled in the past, particularly in the events leading up to and surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Now, for those of you who may be new to Bible study, Matthew 24 and, and the book of Revelation have to do largely with tumultuous events leading up to Christ's second coming to the earth. Those who adhere to this view of the Bible prophecy known as preterism refer to themselves as preterists. Why? The word preterism is based on the Latin word preter, which means past, and that's what preterists believe. Preterists believe that many, if not all, of those things that most Christians would consider future events on the prophetic calendar are actually things of the past, according uh, things of the past. According to preterists, the tribulation, the antichrist, the abomination of desolation, and Jesus' coming found in Matthew 24 and Revelation 19 are all things of the past. Many preterists believe that these things were fulfilled in the turmoil and political upheaval that ensued when Jerusalem was sacked by Romans and most of its inhabitants were slaughtered in AD 70. Now, preterism is actually very similar to an unbiblical teaching that was making its rounds in the early church. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So open up your Bible. We're going to take a look at Scripture as we go through these things. And I'm opening up 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 17. And it says, And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Himenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Back in the first century, Paul tells us there were two men. Their names were Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
who were confusing people in the church because they were talking about a future event as though it had already happened. We might call these two men the first preterist, but they were not the only ones doing this. Turn back to um, 2 Thessalonians 2. So go back to 2 Thessalonians 2. And what uh, verses are we looking at? And verse uh, chapter 2. And let's read uh, verses 1 through 3. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, that's apostasy, turning from the truth, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So, there were those back in the first century who were speaking of future events, the tribulation, the resurrection, and so on, as though they had already taken place. And this is precisely what preterists are doing today. And the result today is the same as the first century. They upset the faith of some, as 2 Timothy 2.18 says. So they upset, upset the faith of some, yes. When a preterist talks to a believer, they, they upset them. And, and they get confused, you see. Because the, a person who believes... Uh, and then says, well, it's all occurred. And then they look out at this world, at this evil world, and everything's happened and he's returning. And our Savior is actually um, in control of this world. And everything that's going on is because he wants it to go on and he's in charge and Satan's gone. No, that's, they go, what? And so it upsets them. Others hearers are having their faith shaken or disturbed, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2. So this is one of the reasons um, that this writer wants to talk to us about preterism. It is growing in popularity and it is shaking some people's faith in what they have been taught. Now, there are two main camps with preterists. There are the full or extreme hyper-preterist, and the second is the partial preterist. What is the difference between the two camps? Well, the full preterists believe all biblical prophecy has been fulfilled, including the Great Tribulation, the Second Coming of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, of believers and the great white throne judgment by the way means that people have been thrown into the lake of fire 
full preterists, um, there's some Max King, John Bray, and the late James Stuart Russell, are even so bold as to say that we are living in the new heavens and the new earth talked about in Revelation 21 through 22. Can you imagine that? They think this is the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> of course, they have to abandon, yes, that's right, they have to abandon the plain understanding of the scriptures to try and explain what John really meant when he said, there shall no longer be any death, mourning, or crying, or pain in Revelation 21, 4. Let's read it. That's what's going to happen when it's the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, yeah. See, they believe that, that there's no pain, no crying, no mourning now on this earth. Yeah. 21.4. And Elohim shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There you go. That's, can you believe that? This is why it's so dangerous, so dangerous for these preterists to believe this. Now, they're the brethren. They, they're believers. They just have false doctrine and Satan has them under his thumb. So let's continue. That's what full preterists believe. All prophecy has been fulfilled. They seem to be the minority within the preterist community. Well, not on Pal Talk. On Pal Talk, they're the majority of the preterists. They're full preterists. Uh, the minority, you get a couple that are preterists, but um, but they're a partial preterist. Now, the camp that seems to have more influence today, and the camp that seems to be growing in size, is the group that holds to partial or moderate preterism. And they adhere to partial preterists such as Hank Hangraf, Graf, R.C. Sproul, Gary DeMar, Kenneth Gentry. And these guys believe that Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation have only largely been fulfilled. Partial preterists, in contrast to full preterists, believe that the second coming of Jesus spoken of Matthew 24 and Revelation 19 was fulfilled, but it was fulfilled spiritually rather than physically. Now, that's the difference, um, that they both believe that it was fulfilled spiritually. Full preterists I have talked to, and they don't believe that the Messiah came back physically. They also believe that um, that he returned spiritually because when you say, well, he's not controlling the world, we can't see him controlling. Well, he came back spiritually. He's hanging out in the clouds, I guess. So, how, um, let's see. How was Jesus coming in Matthew 24 and Revelation 19 fulfilled spiritually? Well, 
They say it occurred when the Roman army destroyed the temple in AD 70 and killed a multitude of Jews. Um, The destruction of the temple is understood by partial preterists to be the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to come again in Matthew 24 and Revelation 19. Preterists say that Jesus came in an act of judgment against the Jews for the rejection of him as Messiah. Unlike full preterists, partial preterists do believe there are some verses like Acts 1, 9 through 11, that do require Jesus to come back again in a physical and visible manner. Now, let's read Acts 1, 9 through 11. So, let's take a look. 1, 9, I mean, Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this requires you to actually have seen him. So partial preterists believe that he will physically return. So he has to come back again in a physical and visible, physical and visible manner, not spiritually meaning um, invisible. Could preterists, whether they be full preterists or partial preterists, be right? Could Matthew 24 and the bulk of the book of Revelation be about past events? No. In this article, this writer wants to share with you six reasons to reject preterism. These there, these are six, there are six reasons you can conf, be confident that preterism is unbiblical. And what does unbiblical mean? It means that the devil is leading these people. They are deceived by the devil, and that's why I have the name of the room, Preterism is of the Devil. And rather than focus on the problems with full preterism, I want to show you six reason, reasons partial preterism can be rejected because if I can show you that partial preterism is unbiblical, then full preterism can safely be laid aside, laid aside as even more unbiblical. So let's consider some of the reasons to reject preterism. First, preterism's proof texts fail to support their own view. Turn with me to Matthew 24. The verse we will be looking at 
here in Matthew 24 is the chief cornerstone in the preterist defense of their view. Yes, I hear it all the time. Here in this chapter, Jesus talks about the signs that will take place in the days leading up to his second coming to earth. He mentions, if you'll notice, in verse 15, the abomination of desolation. And for those who don't know, it's that the abomination of desolation is that time when the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. Where do we find that? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says in verse 2, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that we had already read. Let me pull it up here. Um, I'm reading it off of this thing. I want to read it off of my scriptures. That the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, verse 4 tells us um, what this son of perdition is going to do when he arrives on earth. He opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. All that is called God. That didn't happen. Or that is worship. So nothing can be worshipped in the time of Rome. They, they were uh, what pantheons or uh, multi-gods people. They had many gods and there wasn't one god in front of many, you know, that was above all. No, that, and he didn't sit in the throne. So who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God, no one did that, sitting in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So there you go. So verse 4, 15, um, the abomination of desolation, which um, partial preterists do believe happened, didn't happen. We can tell because that never occurred. So there was no one that ever pretended to be God to the whole world. And there was no, and he was God above all gods. No, or even things worshipped. So things worshipped as anything else. There was nothing allowed to be worshipped. There was no other gods allowed. He opposed them, meaning he was against them. You could not have another kind of worship, nothing else, only that he was the God. That never occurred. So we can blow them out of the water with that one verse. Uh, verse 21, 
He mentions the time of the great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. And of course, that's not true. It was a little bit of a tribulation, sure. But you see, you know what the preterists say about this, that the greatest tribulation against Israel. Well, it wasn't the greatest tribulation against Israel. Just look at the Holocaust. The, the Jews, they were killed along with the blacks and the gypsies and the uh, disabled people. They were all gassed and killed by the Jews uh, by the thousands. So, yes, but, um, you know, that was way later. And so that's a great tribulation, a great time of pressure that the Jews and many other people went through um, in the time of Germany. So, uh, sorry, that little old tribulation that they uh, that they received back there in 70 AD was nothing. In verse 29, he mentions the sun and the moon being darkened and that the stars will fall from the sky. Well, we know that the sun and the moon are still there and that the stars are have not fallen from the sky. So, again, um, you know, it didn't occur. They're still up there. It doesn't say that they're going to return, meaning the sun and the moon are going to come and show their light again. No, it doesn't say that. It said they were dark and they're going to be gone. Well, I see the sun up there. I see the moon up there. <laughs> and I also see the stars in the sky. And then in verse 30, he mentions the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. So, no, no, he hasn't come. And uh, that's a physical appearance. Matthew 24, 34, and the notice, and notice then in 34, this is most popular proof text, preterist point two, notice that Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And so our preterist friends says, they say, ah, you see, Jesus promised that this generation, the generation, this is what they're saying, the generation that was alive at his time would by no means pass away until all these things took place. The abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, the coming of the Son of Man, therefore, these things must have taken place. Jesus must have come back or he would be a false prophet. You see, that's what they always say. Well, it had to have happened or he is a liar. I've heard him say that many times. Because of this verse, Matthew 24, 34, and a couple of others that we'll look at in our um, time today, Preterists insist that all the things spoken about in this chapter, including the tribulation events in Revelation and the coming of Christ, had to have occurred before the generation of people living at that time, the time of Jesus, died off. Well, sorry, um, that is not what Jesus was saying. Um, then what generation was Jesus talking about in Matthew 24, 34? He was talking about the generation that would see all 
the things he just mentioned. So it wasn't their generation. It was going to be the generation that would see all the things. Yeah, the temple fell, but that's just one thing and it was in the flesh. Yes, the flesh temple fell. Yes, flesh Israel fell. But that wasn't all the things mentioned, like we had mentioned before, the moon and the sun and um, and the stars falling and the son of Ma son of uh, perdition sitting and pretending that he's God and having everybody call him God and sitting in the temple. Uh, so you see, those are just some of the things that haven't happened. So he, our Savior, was saying all things. So when... The generation that sees these things happening, all these things being happening, then that's the generation being spoken about. It wasn't the generation back then because all those things didn't happen. Um, the key to understanding this verse, Matthew 24, 34, is found by backing up a verse Notice verse 33, Jesus said, Even so you too, when you see these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation, what, uh, what generation? The generation who is in verse 33, sees all those things will not pass away until all these things take place. So, Jesus says, when you see all these things in verse 33, what things? The abomination of desolation, verse 15, the time of great tribulation, verse 21, uh, the stars uh, falling from the sky, verse 29. That generation that sees all those things will not pass away without also seeing the coming of the Son of Man to earth mentioned in verse 30. Jesus was talking about a generation of people who would be alive during the events leading up to the second coming, that is, during the time of tribulation. And the preterist friends will say, well, I hear what you're saying, but... It just seems odd to me that Jesus would talk about events that were so far off. Why would Jesus speak to his disciples about events that he knew weren't going to happen for at least 2,000 years? Actually, Jesus told his disciples that he didn't know the day or the hour these events would take place. He said that in Matthew 24. Uh, 36. He didn't know when the hour that these events would be taking place. Why would Jesus speak of events that were so far off? Because he was answering the question his disciples had asked him a few minutes earlier about the end of the age. That's right. That was the question. When will the end of the age be? Verse 3. Notice what they asked him in Matthew 24, 3. And you see, preterists will bring that all together, but here is the questions. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's why Jesus spoke to them about events so far off. They asked if what Jesus said in Matthew 24 was about 
events that would transpire in AD 70 as preterists believe, then Jesus failed to answer their question. They asked about events regarding the end of the age, verse 3. And that's what Jesus told them about, events that are still in the future. So Matthew 24, 34 fails to support the preterist view. Another popular proof text for the preterist position is found in Matthew 10.23. And Matthew 10.23 says, Jesus said to his disciples, When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Preterists will say, ah, you see, Jesus promised that he would come again before his disciples would finish evangelizing the cities of Israel. So he must have come in the first century. Uh, the question is, is that what Jesus meant there? I don't think so. Let's carefully reread the second half of the verse. Jesus said, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, there are a different, uh, few different views regarding what Jesus may have meant here. So we don't want to be dogmatic here with an interpretation. But I, along with a good number of Bible commentators, believe that Jesus was simply telling his disciples that there was so much work to be done, so many cities to reach with the gospel, that they would not finish taking the gospel to their own country before his second coming. And if we're right that this is what Jesus meant, Jesus' prediction certainly came to pass. The disciples never did complete taking the gospel to all of the cities of Israel. Why? Because Israel, to a large degree, would not receive their message. Jesus even alludes to coming to the coming Jewish unreceptivity to the gospel in the first part of the verse. Notice again verse 23. When, not if, they persecute you in the city, flee to another. That was going to be a common response. Then Jesus said, For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel. That is, you will not finish the task of taking the gospel to the Jewish people before the Son of Man comes. Persecution. Acts 8, 1. And a prevailing Jewish unreceptive to the gospel prevented the disciples from going through all the cities of Israel and to this day the job of taking the gospel to all the Jews has not been completed. Another possible interpretation, one that Dr. Norman Geisler mentions in his um, book is that Jesus may not have been talking about his second coming at the end of the age, but just coming to them again, as in the days or weeks later, perhaps reuniting with them near the end of his outreach efforts. For preterists to insist 
that Matthew 10.23 requires a first century return of Jesus fails to keep in mind that there are other possible and I believe more plausible interpretation of this passage. Other scriptures that persist a preterist appeal to in support of their position are found in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Revelation 2.16, I am coming to you quickly. Revelation 11.14, the third woe is coming quickly. Revelation 22.12, behold, I am coming quickly. Preterists will say, see, Jesus said, I'm coming to you quickly. Surely he could not have had in mind events that were 2,000 years later. The events spoken about here in the book of Revelation had to have been fulfilled quickly, shortly after he lived. Well, not necessarily. The Greek word translated shortly or quickly here in these passages in the book of Revelation is the Greek word takas. This word does not refer to soon, but to a swift event, meaning not having to do with time frame, but it will happen in a short period of time. Not that it coming um, soon, it's that it's going to happen all at once swiftly. That's what the word means. The word does not refer to soon event, but a swift event, meaning uh, the word means um, there's different meanings of it. You can find it in different Greek, swift, speedy, um, swift, quick. Jesus was not describing when the events will occur, but rather the manner in which they will take place when they when they do occur. He was saying that when these events take place, they are going to unfold suddenly, quickly, with great swiftness. So these verses in the book of Revelation do not support the preterist position. And that is the first reason to reject preterism. Preterist uh, proof text fails to support their own views. You have to get it go into the languages to understand um, what's going on here and why you reject this false doctrine. And it's very dangerous for the brethren that actually are preterists.